This is episode 137 of Bella in Your Business. Do you feel like your business is going around on a merry-go-round? Well, I've got news for you. This episode is sponsored by my incredible webinar series called Jump and Scale. It gets you off that merry-go-round and up to the next level in your business. It's called Jump and Scale, and it's free for you right now. Just go ahead and sign up at jumpconsulting.net forward slash scale. You will learn how to grow your business, increase your staff, and not be held hostage to your business. So go ahead, sign up for free. That's jumpconsulting.net net forward slash scale. I'll see you inside. Welcome to Bella in your business, where Bella will discuss anything and everything about your pet sitting business to help you land on target. So get ready. Bella's got your shoot. Let's jump. Welcome to Bella in your business. My name is Bella Vasta and today I've got a little bit of a different topic or road we're going to go on. We're going to stretch your imagination and get you out of that everyday monotony type thinking. My guest today is Jay Akunzo, and he is an author of an incredible book that I suggest you all check out. He has an uncanny knack for connecting quirky with warmth and humor plus years of practical relevance and experience. Jay delivers keynotes that move people to action, and whether it's 40 global brand executives, 400 fire chiefs, or 4,000 fired-up marketers, Jay challenges others to break from conventional thinking and supposed, quote-unquote, best practices in a way that drives greater results for companies and careers alike. So what do you say we take the pet sitting and dog walking industry and flip it on its head because everybody and their mother seems to do things the same way? Welcome, Jay. I love that you brought up that last point because I, as, as a longtime pet owner who has purchased services in this industry for years, I feel that sting as a consumer. So I'm happy to speak to this audience. It's not just about another picture of a cute puppy or doggy or kitty, right? It's about the user experience or you tell me, what is it about? How can an entrepreneur who's growing a business really start to think about how they can differentiate themselves in the market and do what you say to do? Yeah. So for two and a half years, I started interviewing people that did something that looked crazy in their industry on my podcast. And so I, I would run these episodes and it would always look crazy. And I'd reach out to the guests and I'd be like, hey, you do something that looks atypical or refreshing or unconventional. Can I speak with you? And routinely, the issue was, you know, that was my perception because I either knew the best practice or the tried and true, or I just lacked their context. Really, that was yes. the difference is these individuals just made decisions based on their context instead of based on some kind of best practice or status quo in their industry. And I think we get caught in that in every industry. And certainly, you know, I'm pet sitting and dog walking and all the way up to like veterinarians that are supposed to have like, you know, a, a whole staff around them. The, the, the problem is, we have a certain cycle we fall into when we make choices at work. Mm-hmm. And that tends to cling to best practices or conventional wisdom, or we trend hop. You know, we're in this endless wheel, which is the title of the book, Break the Wheel. And we need to escape that and make decisions not based on what works on average or in general, but what works for us. And so what I set out to do in the book was learn from all these stories and actually like find a system we can use to make decisions based on the details of our own unique situations and the people we serve and also the people we are instead of what a competitor is doing, what someone else said would work or what an expert that you admire even says you have to do, right? So in this era of endless possibilities, the real skill is how do you vet them? And I wanted to figure that out. 
So how do you vet them? Is it a sense of knowing securely who you want to be in your business and what you want for your business and matching it up and not blindly listening or breaking that wheel, that cycle? How does one do that, Jay? Yeah, I think it's a combination of switching your mentality from I have to be an expert to I have to be an investigator. That's a big Mm, first step. Yes. Right? Because like what do experts do? I mean, you know this as, as a podcast host, like you probably talk to a lot of experts, like experts profess to know the answer. They have absolutes and theory. And look, don't get me wrong, that can be really helpful as a starting point, but they're incomplete equations. Like Mm -hmm. the variables that are missing from those equations come from your specific context. And so an investigator, unlike an expert, they're masters at asking really good open-ended questions and then hunting for clues in that context, in that situation. And it doesn't matter if their conclusion is a best practice or not. What matters is, you know, they're on the case, they're going to figure it out. So if I'm running, you know, say a dog walking business, as an example, you know, I just moved to a new home outside New York City in July. And so we've been scrambling because we loved our dog walker in the city. Why do we love our dog walker? For a few reasons. So first of all, I work from home and when the door was shut, I swear it was a 13-year-old girl that walked in instead of a 27-year-old man because he was so excited. He had the highest pitched voice when it came to my dog, you know, and here's this like bearded, hairy-chested man, but he's (laughs) on over my dog. He had a quirky personality and the thing is he used it in his work. He used it when he interacted with his clients. He used it when he interacted with the dogs. The dog that I have is a beagle, so he barks at a lot of things and I still have never heard it bark at anybody quite like this guy, Craig, out the window when he would spot him four stories up, right? So, <laughs> the, so like he's an example of a guy who looked at his own context, looked at who he was as the first variable that no best practice considers, who you are. And he decided, I'm going to use that, right? And it wasn't manufactured that he was that way. It was authentically who he was and he brought his full self to the work. So there's myriad ways to do this. I want to stop you right there because I think that there's this hidden or unspoken stereotype in the pet sitting and dog walking field that unless you are a male who starts a company, a lot of females are like, oh, I can't hire a man because nobody wants a man in my house. So I think this is actually a really cool example that you have here. And I love it because I know a lot of people are listening or probably probably connecting the dots right now and thinking, sure. maybe I've been a little too, I know I, I did that when I first started out. Maybe I was a little too discriminatory, even though it's against the law to do that, you guys. But, you know, we see an application come across that might say, Jay, and you're like, no, nah, I'm not even going to look at him because he's a right. guy and I don't think my clients are going to like a guy. So it's about breaking that cycle. Yeah. In general, maybe you're right. Maybe most clients don't like a guy, but Craig is not operating in a generality. Craig is Craig, right? And the issue here is we have really concrete plans for like finding some kind of blueprint or like a precedent in our jobs, in our marketing, you know, in the services we provide. But what we don't really have a plan for is how to pressure test those to see if that actually applies when we move from in general to in my situation, right? But that's all that should matter is you don't make decisions based on finding a best practice. You find the best approach for you. And like, honestly, Bella, when I was in school, I remember thinking, oh, there's a right and wrong answer for stuff. And then you get into the workplace. That is not the case in most of our jobs, even in the hard sciences, they're constantly questioning things and updating stuff, right? So in very few situations in our work, is there a right answer? So now it's about the right answer for you. And I wanted to focus on the for you part by exploring that in the book. Now, Jay, you said something in your last meal that was really awesome. You said the word test. 
So while we're trying to figure out these best practices, can you help explain to our audience about how do we find out what actually does work for us? And yeah. more importantly, what doesn't work for us? Right. So I love the fact that you're also talking about the negative because that's equally as important. So one of the misnomers, you know, I'm a creative guy. I like, I like the big idea. I like to write. I host podcasts and documentaries for a living. Like I get enamored with creativity, but yeah. creative freedom is a misnomer. If I told you listening, watching to write an article about anything you want, your brain automatically creates constraints for you. It yeah. prevents you from having total freedom. You're like, what totally, am I Because you go, wait, what subject? How long? Yeah. Where How should long? I do it? How am I going to write it like in my desk, in my home office? Am mm -hmm. I going to like write it on a Google doc or Word doc? Yeah. Like we're incapable of acting unless we have constraints. And for some weird reason, when we run our businesses, we wish we had fewer constraints. And I actually think the key is just being really clear around what your constraints are Mm -hmm. And then knowing that you can then test, right? I think it's helpful to cite an example here. So a friend of mine used to run the blog for a venture capital firm called First Round Capital. Her name was Camille Ricketts. And when she was hired, there were something like 120 competitor blogs doing the exact same thing. Again, back to my example of dog walkers. Yeah. Everybody says they do the same thing, right? Right. And so how do you differentiate? You don't look for big creative freedom. You look for constraints and test within those. So what Camille did in that saturated market, she had no writers, no budget. She had about a month she figured in her new job to like prove her worth to her bosses. And she had to write about a topic, technology entrepreneurship, that's been written about every which way to Sunday. And in a brilliant move, but a constrained move, she decided to go to local San Francisco events and just look at the most popular speeches at the events and transcribe them onto her blog. That fits within the little box she'd set for herself with her constraints. And then she used it as a proof point to herself and her bosses to expand a little bit and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And honestly, Bella, if you look at the science of creativity, every study, it's like unanimous, shows that when you know your constraints and try to test within them, you come up with both more ideas for your business and also more effective ideas. And for some reason, we want to fight constraints. So that's how you test, is you actually identify what your constraints are, be uh -huh. really clear alone or with your team on what they are, uh -huh. and then just use a small number of passionate responses you get as signal that the test should continue or you should invest more in it. As you're saying that, I'm trying to think about like how a dog walker or a pet sitter would use that. And correct me if I'm wrong. I want to make sure I'm following you. I'm going to like, I don't want to say dumb it down, but I want to like simplify it to the most mediocre thing and <laughs> Facebook ads. I mean, we all feel like we have like constraints on things. We want to attract a certain demographic in a certain area. But if we just say, Hey, I want to boost a post to everybody and their mother. If we don't apply those constraints onto them and say, we want someone who works from home or who's a freelancer or who travels a lot for work and put those constraints on us, we can test it and yield better results and know which one's performing and which, I mean, is that like a very simplified version of the thought process and idea that you're talking about? Totally. Because one constraint you're introducing to test the efficacy of your message is the type of person you're targeting, right? Yeah. And like historically, I think that's kind of where we stop. You know, I've been in marketing my whole career. We kind of stop at that. It's like, who are we for? Who are we right. not for? Great right. first step. But there are other constraints too, like back to Craig. You know, Craig was a quirky dude and he could have buried that. And then it would have come out in awkward ways anyway. And I would have yeah. maybe gotten rid of him, right? But like he owned it. So yeah. if that comes through in an ad or whatever, yeah. you know, another constraint is like, honestly, the truth. The truth is you could say to somebody, your dog is not special. You think your dog is special. Your dog is not special. And here's why that's a good thing. I walk 
70 dogs or my business does, right? And here are the five things we've learned about every dog. And you start to see yourself as a potential customer reflected. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Right? It's like, we are all projecting the same stuff. Yeah. Dogs are great. We fell in love with pets as a kid and we want to walk your dog. And it's like they're our second child and blah, 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 blah. Guess what you're doing? You're blending in with everybody else. We care about them like they're of our own. We go above and beyond. We're the best in the area. Right. (laughs) And unfortunately, even when we recognize that about ourselves, the solution that we think we need is to be like a rebel, to be radically different, to somehow like, you know, manufacture the difference. But I think what we should look at are just three things, three things that no best practice takes into account. There's like you and your team. Mm -hmm. What do you uniquely offer because yeah. that's the only thing competitors can't access. Right. And that's the thing you should start by investigating. Yeah. Then there's your specific audience, back to your point about who do we target. Then there's your resource constraints. And if you start by knowing those three things, that's like a filter in your brain to vet any idea, no matter how new or old it is. And I think, again, back to the first thing we said on this show, you are the biggest variable. So you got to start there. I love all that. And I want to encourage anyone listening right now, if you are putting those constraints on yourself so much that you're paralyzed, I would encourage you just to ask your staff, send out an email today after this podcast and be like, what do you think makes our company different? What do you think makes us unique? If you had to ask your clients and say, why do they prefer us over someone else? What is it? And if they're like, oh, well, we really care about the animals. Don't be afraid to press them a little bit more. How is it that we care about the animals that makes it unique? Because you guys, you don't have to do this alone. If you have a staff, use them, reach out. They will be, I think, so thankful that you're valuing their opinion enough to kind of move your ship forward. I love that. And while we're on the topic of talking to your team, there's a very simple question you can ask that I explored in the book, which is what is our aspirational anchor? We like to set goals in business and goals are just kind of like a mile marker, right? It tells you what you've achieved and when, that doesn't really speak to how you get there. But I think that's the determinant of the work. It's the how and the why part that truly matters and often goes overlooked. So Mm -hmm. an aspirational anchor is, I think, a more powerful, especially team-wide goal, which is an intent for the future, but also some kind of hunger or dissatisfaction today. In other words, you need to focus on the behavior change to reach the goal, not just here's the goal through whatever means necessary. Oh, good. Somebody gave us a best practice. We'll run that way. So like a really easy example is it's actually the dictionary, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, believe it or not. Do you follow them on Twitter by any chance, Bella? No, I don't follow the dictionary on Twitter. So you should, first of all. I know. (laughs) I never thought to. Well, let's start this way. Why were you initially skeptical when I said follow the dictionary on Twitter? What's going through your mind? Because it's just so abstract. I think like, what could it possibly add to my life, right? So I guess I all of a sudden have those constrictions, right? Or that preconceived notion. And what do you expect from a dictionary? Something pretty predictable. Words maybe or where the words come from. Yeah, exactly. The etymology of the word, the definition of a word. It's boring. And oh, by the way, what's your favorite dictionary brand? That's not a question we can really answer most times, right? And Uh, why do you like them more than the other? You probably can't answer that either. You're like, I don't know. I just happen to go there. It's the same as every other dictionary. A uh word definition is basically the word's definition, right? So Merriam-Webster Dictionary is staffed by this wonderful creative marketing team led by Lisa Schneider, who's their chief digital officer. Uh And she said to her team, she noticed how boring they were on Twitter and they did the same automated stuff, just like every other dictionary. Yeah. She said to her team, not grow our Twitter followers 50%. She said, let's show the world how fun and relevant we are. Now, 
that's an aspirational anchor because the intent for the future is to be part of the conversation. Like let's show the world that we're part of this relevant conversation. And it also focuses on the behavior change or the hunger you have still, the dissatisfaction, which is like, well, our voice is way too bland and our content is way too predictable. So let's show the world how fun and relevant we are. And they did this one early tweet that set them off. They declared the hot dog is a sandwich. And like people lost their minds, right? But that was a debate that the team had over lunch one day. And they were all like, oh my gosh, this is hysterical. And Lisa was like, exactly. This is who we are. Put that out into the world. Stop manufacturing something automated because some blueprint somewhere said to do that. Put that out in the world. We'll differentiate. And by the way, the dictionary, they don't set rules for language. They document how people really use the words. So they are documentarians of pop culture. So it makes perfect sense that they would actually be fun and relevant and they weren't showing that. So what is your aspirational anchor with your team, that intent you have for the future, but also the behavior change you need to get there. If you know that together, suddenly you start making better decisions. That's really incredible how you can take something so mundane as the dictionary and just, you know, blast it out. And it's a really, really great point. Do you have another story? We have just a couple more minutes, but another example of how you can show us how to break that cycle? My favorite is Death Wish Coffee, which is uh, they build themselves as the world's strongest coffee. So here's a brand that looks like they're rebels. But if you trace it back to their origin, every step they took seemed logical to serve their audience better. And it led them to something that seems radically different. It's like a Uh dark logo with skull and crossbones, death wish coffee. It's not the artisanal parchment paper experience that we get in most coffee shops, right? Yeah. So this guy, Mike Brown, had a coffee shop in upstate New York, Saratoga Springs, and he was ruining it. And all of a sudden, he started paying more attention to his customers who kept asking for strong and dark coffee. Uh They were like truck drivers and entrepreneurs, like hard chargers. Strong and dark coffee is actually hard to achieve, believe it or not, because when you roast something to get it darker, you roast away the strength. You roast away the caffeine, right? Except there's a type of bean, Robusta, which is strong enough to achieve that. It's just that most coffee shops frown upon it because it's less flavorful and floral and artisanal. Well, if your audience is looking at coffee like a Red Bull instead of an artisanal sit-down experience because they got to go work themselves to death, Yeah. well, then you can create Death Wish Coffee and use a bean others would see as crazy to use except it makes sense in his context. Yeah. Right, so here's another example. Their company is exploding. They're sending their coffee to space this year, to the space station. Oh, cool. Ad. Yeah, they are everywhere. But it really started from an observation that was firsthand. It was contextual. Even though his decision made no sense in theory for the expert, it made sense for him. Awesome. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit. For all of our listeners out there, our dog walking and pet sitting companies rocking it from 200,000 all the way to seven figures. What is one final thought or one final push that you could leave them to ponder on as they go about the rest of their day today? So if you can put some blinders on for the next, I mean, make an arbitrary number next month, ignore the competition and solely ask really good open-ended questions. That's key. Of your staff, you gave a few earlier, Bella, of your customers, of yourself. If you just focus all of your time and effort, like investigating your own situation, there's details swimming right in front of our noses every day. And we just fail to use those when we make decisions because we're operating too much in the abstract. And those hold the clues to make really, really good decisions and do work that feels refreshing to others. So focus on asking really good open-ended questions as the skill you get really good at. Super cool. So how can we find out more about Break the Wheel and get a free chapter? So jayaconzo.com slash 
book is just all the information you need and some behind the scenes of how I built the book, even Spotify playlists, that kind of stuff. If you want a free chapter, just tweet me and I'll happily send you the link. It's at Jay Akunzo. Cool, cool. I will put all that in the show notes. You guys, this has been another episode of Bella in Your Business. If you have loved it, which I hope you have, I have just now chatting with you, Jay, go ahead and tag us and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. And if you're really excited, we would be honored if you would give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen to us. And remember, when life gets you down, always keep jumping. Thanks for jumping with Bella in your business. For more information, free articles, free coaching sessions, and more, go to jumpconsulting.net. And remember, Bella's got your shoot.